Hello, everybody. Trace Blackmore here. And this is a special episode. If you've noticed, we aired it on a special day. We're not waiting to put this on our normal Friday release. There's something going on in our industry. And if you don't know about it, you will find out about it shortly. There is a raw material crisis. There's a shipping crisis. And I don't want to create panic by using the word crisis, but when that's what you have to get in order to do the services that we do, I don't know what else to call it. And I truly believe that together we can be way more productive than we can by trying to tackle this alone. It's the whole reason I started the Rising Tide Mastermind. So instead of us all trying to get this information on our own, we held a webinar just a few short days ago with some experts in the industry where they share with us their experiences, their forecasts, their advice. And I think it's something that if you're in this industry, you need to know what's going on so you can better prepare for whatever comes our way. So I wanted to share an audio version of that webinar with you. You can go to our show notes page and you can click a link if you'd actually like to see the actual webinar itself. Just go to scalinguph2o.com and you can navigate to this show and you can get those show notes. So here is that webinar. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Raw Material Update. My name is Trace Blackmore, and uh, I'm hosting this event. Uh, this was originally set to come at the AWT convention, but our town hall meeting did not allow that to happen. We know that this is very important information that we all need to know about because we're going to have to make some serious decisions about what we do about uh, the word that I can think of is this crisis and, and how we properly prepare for that. Before I introduce my speakers, uh, I, I'd like to recognize a, a couple of things that allow us to do things like this. The Scaling Up H2O podcast. So if you don't know about the Scaling Up H2O podcast, you can get that anywhere you listen to podcasts completely free. And this is everything a water treater needs to know. And it's the water treater's friend as they're driving from account to account. The other thing I want to mention is the Rising Tide Mastermind. The Rising Tide Mastermind is a group of people. We get together and we talk about issues like this. Last year, we were talking about COVID and how do we survive a pandemic and what is PPP and how do we take advantage of it? And what are all the things that we need to know? And the great thing about discussing that with a group of people is no one person has to do all the lifting. We divided and conquered, and we really helped each other survive something that nobody knew how to get to. So if you're interested in that, you can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind. And with that, I want to go ahead and introduce our speakers so Jill Cavano of Scranton Associates, welcome, Jill. You're going to be our first speaker, but I'm going to introduce our other speakers as well. We have Mike Standish of Radical Polymers, Gary Garcia of Masters Company, and John Zabrita of Zybeck. So thank all of you for coming to this, sharing the information that you've learned, what you've seen in the industry, and uh, a little bit of housekeeping 
I'd like everybody that's participating to please keep your, um, your screens muted. Uh, I will give time for questions at the end of all four speakers. If you have a question, I'd like to moderate that just so we're not talking over each other. So if you can put those questions into chat, please do so. And I will ask those questions uh, as they come up. Uh, we are recording this. My plan is to share the link that we get from Zoom uh, immediately with our mastermind members. And then what we're going to do for everybody else is we're going to we're going to grab that video, we're going to transfer that to our YouTube page, and then send that out via our YouTube page. So with that, Jill, there's so much going on right now, and you are right in the middle of it. And I'm sure you see things that the rest of us don't. Can you help us out with all of the stuff that's going on right now? Thank you, Trace. Um, I think I'm going to start by just kind of a, a state of the industry. Uh, we had this panel, uh, you know, several months ago. And at the time, one of the question was, is when do you foresee things getting better, whether it be chemicals or freight or containers or such? And at the time, I think we all answered somewhat maybe overly optimistically, I'll speak for myself, that we were hoping that by this time, things might have at least stabilized or we would have seen some kind of end to this. And then others said, no, you know, not till, you know, 2021 and and then now it's okay no not till the end of 2021 and then not until quarter two or quarter three of 2022 well not to be unoptimistic but I think the state of the industry as far as freight and containers and chemical pricing and price increases and availability I think you know not to have a crystal ball, but I think realistically, my best guess is when we might start to see some relief, um, some stabilization, dare I even say some prices, you know, staying the same or coming down would be, you know, the end of 2022 going into 2023. So I think the optimistic thing that we can all think of if we try to take anything away is that, um, and I'll touch on this later, is it'll lead us to be better communicators with our staff, better communicators with our customers, um, to have more contact and, and more touch points with people. But also, if you look at it from this perspective, even though it looks like we might have another year to go of trying to deal with all this, we already have a year under our belt. A year under our belts where we're getting acclimated to kind of a new way of being, a new way of running the business. So I guess if you want to think positive, you know, maybe we're halfway there. But that's kind of my state as an industry overall. Um, as I'm sure everybody knows right now, one of the biggest concerns is not only pricing and seeing price increases, the likes of which, you know, not just maybe on one thing like we did with sodium molybdate solution, you know, back 15, 16, or whatever years ago, but now it's a whole variety of products across the board and containers and freight. So we're seeing price increases, the likes of which we've never seen before on not just a handful of products. We're also seeing, you know, freight cost, the likes of which we've never seen before. You know, it used to be maybe last year, depending on where it was coming from or what it was, you'd see ocean freight three or $4,000 a container. I think this week and last week on some things, it was more like $22,000 to $30,000 a container, if you can even get that over here. Um, 
So, you know, we've got the price increases, we've got the freight, we've got the lack of availability, um, you know, the, the sulfamic acid, citric acid, uh, TT, BZT, um, cyclohexylamine, morpholine, you know, DEAE, uh, DEHA, you know, all of these things and more, um, I find that, you know, the, the pricing has gone up exponentially, but also the fact is, is can you even get it? Um, so that's something that that I want to address. Um, and, you know, the same thing with containers and then kind of just my words of wisdom and input and, and things that I've learned. But I think the thing that people are most concerned about is availability of raw materials. So there is going to be problems and there is already problems on availability of raw materials. And, you know, myself and Gary and John and Mike, you know, we've done our best to stock up as much as we can. We've done our best to communicate with customers price increases, um, what things are going to be tough to get, that lead times are longer. Um, so sometimes if I order something and someone tells me it'll be here in a week, I like to prepare myself and customers, well, that week could turn into two or three. Um, I'm as stocked up as I can be, and I'm going to do my best not to run out of anything. Um, I, I hope that that won't happen, and I'll do everything in my power that I can, but that's something I think that we all need to think about, and one of the reasons for this call today that we all kind of need to be prepared for. We need to have conversations with, you know, for me, uh, with my customers so that they can have conversations with their customers about price increases, uh, prepare people and communicate for longer lead times, and prepare people for what happens if a supply of something through no fault of anybody should, you know, not be available anymore. You know, what are some alternatives that we can use? What are some things that we can do? Um, so that's a, a main thing, I think, is just stressing communication. Um, one of the things that I'd like to talk about is there's not a lot of direct drop-ins for some of these products that were going to, you know, be in short supply. You know, the price is going to increase. You know, people may not be able to get them. But there are things that you can do, whether it be something else that you could use, whether it be changing a formulation to make it less concentrated, use less of something, use something that's a little bit different. Um, and that's something that myself and Gary and John and Mike um, can assist you with so that you can make sure that, you know, for whatever is available or whatever is a more reasonable price point that we can help and, you know, guide you to make sure that you're using the best things that are available at the time to try to, as we all kind of navigate this together. Uh, one thing I do want to point out is if you do go ahead and change anything, um, you know, please check with us or please keep in mind that that might trigger you to change your labels and your SDS um, so, you know, don't make any, any changes without taking that into account. Um, secondarily, um, talking about, I mean, freight, we all know that, uh, you know, sometimes trucks don't pick up. Sometimes there's longer lead times. Everything is costing more. Um, ocean containers, there's an ocean freight. There's a shortage of containers. Um, there's issues at the ports. The price is exponential. I've heard from several people that with the holidays approaching, they're favoring non-hazardous materials over hazardous materials. So there, I would say that there might be even more delays as we stock up for the holiday shopping season. So that's kind of on the front here with ocean freight. As far as containers go, um, 
I think that we might, I, I hope I'm not being too hopeful, that we might start to maybe not see monthly increases on resin. I mean, that hasn't happened yet. Containers, just like everything else, the prices on resin and steel and freight, and then them having trouble with labor problems. I mean, that's all driving the high prices of containers. Uh, with us, we just have orders booked out for six months at a time and just keep having something always on the books to make sure we don't run out. But, you know, those prices are increasing a lot. One of my container suppliers let me know that there might be a little glitch once the automotive comes back online with all of the issues that they're having right now. The demand for containers could boom all over again and, you know, trigger, you know, something worse than what we've already seen. But there are still containers available. They're just costing more and, um, you know, have to make sure that like we have, and I'm sure Gary and Mike and John and everybody else, you know, get your orders in and, and uh, pass along the pricing and, you know, do your best to make sure that, you know, you don't run out and that you have what you need. Um, but I think as far as, you know, raw materials and freight and containers, I guess my biggest takeaways are, is that communication. I mean, now it's more important than ever for us to communicate, you know, us being, you know, Mike and Gary and John to communicate with our customers everything that's happening. So we set up a reasonable expectation, you know, forecasting is important. Stocking up is important. Knowing about, you know, what else you can use if it comes down to it, how to change formulations um, and making sure that anything collateral like your SDSs and labels is taken care of. But also for our customers to talk to our their customers, that's very important. It's very important that if you have a big order that you're just about to quote on maybe a product that you haven't sold in four months, you know, talk to me, talk to Gary, talk to, you know, whoever you need to talk to, um, because I guarantee you that price has changed to make sure that you're not the one pay, you know, eating the difference on that. But you know, just from a housekeeping standpoint for us, many months ago, our corporate policy at Scranton Associates has changed. You know, my staff, it used to be, you know, when you crack the last tote, when you crack the last drum, that's when you come and, and we're at a reorder point. We've redone the way that we do business internally, where, you know, I'm communicating, my office staff is communicating with our customers. You know, everybody's on the same page. Everybody is prepared. Everyone knows what's going on. Um, you know, they may not like the fact that prices are going up, but we're all on the same page. And the same thing with the staff. Um, now it's like when you crack the third to last tote, when you, you know, are, are only have eight drums left, then at that time, it's time to tell me that we need to reorder. And, you know, stocking up on things that we think are going to be in short supply or stocking up on things before the prices get to be too outrageous. Um, so our policy has changed with how we do business. And I know a lot of, you know, my customers and, and colleagues and such where they've changed with their, you know, sales staff and service staff, how they do business, where instead of, you know, you're at a reorder point when you put the last, you know, drum on, you're at a reorder point when you have four drums left at the site. Um, so I think the communication and the way that we all do business is going to have to change if it hasn't already, but that might not necessarily be a bad thing. That might be something that's a good takeaway from this, where we can kind of use that to our advantage, you know, if at such time when things do maybe not go back to normal, but they stabilize. Um, and then, uh, 
I think that's the pretty much all I had to say. I'm going to hope that, uh, you know, I'm sure Gary and John and, and Mike can definitely add to that. And I'm happy to answer any questions anybody has at the end. All right. Thank you so much, Jill. Again, that's Jill Cavano of Scranton Associates, if you want to reach out to her. Next up, I'm going to recognize Mike Standish. So, Mike, thank you so much for sharing all the knowledge that you have about this situation. So I'm going to ask the same question that we asked, Jill, with everything that you see going on with uh, uh, things that you're working with your customers and your suppliers, what do we need to know and what do we need to do? Well, first of all, I think following Jill is kind of like following the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. So uh, who was that guy? You know, who, who was the next guy after that? So thank you, Jill, for uh, covering all everything. That was that was awesome. Um I, I probably look and I'll look down kind of at some notes that I've made, but I, I probably look at things maybe more at a 30,000 foot view, you know, of what's going on. So clearly, uh, you know, we're seeing kind of a perfect storm in a way and that we're seeing increased demand, which is kind of odd, you know, in, in this environment, plus decreased raw material availability, uh, plus all these logistical issues. So, you know, those kind of three things combined make make this kind of the worst case scenario in terms of just getting material when you need it at a, at a price which you expect or, or that you, you know, feel is fair. Um, one, one thing, and Rob Ferguson mentioned this before uh, and earlier in the day, uh, one of the things I've been saying to people is, look, I'm very concerned about inflation because from our point of view, you know, we're seeing, and I'm sure, you know, all the vendors out there are seeing just huge increases in cost. Uh, Jill mentioned, you know, uh, the container cost, a freight container, uh, shipping cost, uh, for ocean freight, you know, going up into the 20-something thousand versus less than 5,000 a year ago. Just for everybody's kind of knowledge there, for every, typically a 20-foot container is going to have 40,000 pounds of chemical on it. So for every $4,000 that that increases, that's 10 cents per pound and just direct cost increase of that raw material. So if you have something going from, you know, say $4,000, uh, just shipping costs to 12,000, you've all of a sudden added 20 cents a pound in cost. So where, where I want to go with this, though, is we're seeing tremendous increases in raw material cost and transportation costs to get material, you know, here. And, uh, and to me, that hasn't yet hit the consumer. Um, so I expect at some point there to be this kind of massive issue with inflation uh, at the consumer level, which may impact demand. It's, you know, my two cents. Rob was just mentioning earlier today that uh, Social Security increase went up by 5.91% for next year. That is phenomenal. I grew up with my grandparents and I, you know, heard them complain about, you know, Social Security increases of a fraction of a percent, you know, 0.5% or 0.8%. 5.91%, I think I saw in the news, was the highest in 40 years. Uh, so, you know, not to be all doom and gloom, but I think on the economic side, you know, there's some chance that there's a back end to this that's worse than where we are at this point. Um, 
the logistics that everybody's talking about is absolutely real. I mean, we experience that within our business um, and, you know, no real reason to kind of belabor that. But, uh, you know, one of the things that you're seeing is kind of at all points in which the product is touched, there are issues with delays. So whether it's, you know, transportation in the country of origin, whether it's transportation, transatlantic or transpacific uh, transportation uh, and then whether it's congestion at the ports and once something finally does get cleared I mean as an example we had something that sat maybe eight days out out uh, at sea waiting to get into Savannah port but even once it uh, gets there you know there's big delays and shortages of drivers to get it you know from the port to you know where it's going you know domestically here. Um, so those are real issues. I think, you know, where there's some opportunity and one thing that I, I would like to kind of speak to, and I think, you know, people like John, people like Gary, uh, Jill, you know, the, the, we have some really, really, really good vendors within this independent water treatment community. And I think, you know, where things are at least going on the short term is that uh, and, and a very positive note, I think, for everybody is the independent water treaters have the ability to make changes pretty rapidly to, it, within their technology. Um, so if you can't get phosphonates, you can look at polymers as an example as a substitute, or you can look at ex extending your supply with one chemical versus another. And we have very, very, very good vendors within you know this community to be able to support you in doing that. So you know, I think kind of two things that I would say out of that is one, make sure you consult with your vendors, uh, you know, whether it's uh, for modeling of waters to compare, you know, additives or whether it's, you know, looking at, you know, say a polymer versus a phosphonate or what have you, but work closely with the vendors that you trust and get the support that you need, um, you know, to uh, develop something that's robust. And then the second thing that I would say is, that is where there is an opportunity in all this chaos because your larger competitors are not going to be able to react uh, as as fast as the people that are on this uh, video call. Um, and maybe the last comment I'd make, I, I had a um, conversation today with Dave Fitzgerald at um, North Metals and you know, I think he and I, you know, and and this community of vendors are very much advocates of let's support each other in this. You know, I think uh, you know our independent businesses are very important to this community, and and I think it's a real opportunity for us to, you know, uh, be supportive of the independent you know businesses that exist, which there's a whole lot of them within within this community. Well, thank you, Mike. And again, that's uh, Mike Standish of Radical Polymers. I'm now going to recognize Gary Garcia of Masters Company. Gary, thank you so much for allowing us to, to get some knowledge from all the things that you're seeing. So again, the same question, just chaos going on and we got more to come. What do we need to know? What should we do? Well, uh a couple of things. Right off of the bat, I would take a very cautionary note of making changes to certain product and formulations. Look, on the boiler side, you have FDA and USDA requirements. You can't just uh, abrogate cyclohexylamine and, and change. I would also say that you need to be extremely careful because of the unintended consequences that can happen literally weeks and months down the road. So, 
the rush to replace something can literally bite you in the rear end if, if you're not really, really focused on it. So I would encourage anyone who wants to make a change or is looking to do that to communicate with Mike, Jill, myself, John, anybody in, in the supply community. You know, if I make this change, what is it going to cause? How is it going to affect it? Uh, not only from the standpoint, as Jill mentioned, with labels and SDS, but also in the actual performance of the product downstream. Um, there would be some uh, risk and some legal liabilities that you should be really, really aware of before you start making wholesale changes. Um, the next comment I would have is, is I, I think it's kind of interesting in that um, last week, the projections were for 500,000 jobs to be created. And the numbers came in at less than 200,000. I was listening to a couple of economists, and they're talking about the fact that this is likely to be the new norm. And the new norm is, is that we have, as a, as a society, uh, promoted people um, getting free money and people don't want to work. And I think you see that in some of the trucking companies. I mean, I, I talked to one trucking company, they have a $7,000 bonus package. So they'll send you to trucking school, they give you $3,500 up front, $3,500 after you've been there 60 days. They cannot fill the positions quick enough. I heard another statistic the other day that the Port of Savannah has 40,000 containers sitting there waiting to be picked up and distributed across the United States. So the point I would make is we're not going to get out of this in the short term. I'm not even I'm sorry to be pessimistic, uh, but I'm not so sure you're going to get out of this in 2023. I think um, there are too many changes in this society with this. Uh, one of the things that uh, concerns me is the fact that uh, higher labor costs have yet to hit the marketplace. And those labor costs are fairly significant. You, you could be looking at, uh, as one example, one of the problems here in Chicago is that the fact that Amazon is now paying drivers $20 an hour. So that's the new norm. Why would I come to work for you at 18 or 15 when Amazon's going to pay me 20 bucks an hour. Um, I do think that you're going to find that some of that is institutionalized in the society until there's a correction. And the correction is always historically a recession. So looking in that crystal ball, I'm kind of pessimistic. Um, for Jill and I, we, um, have to kind of uh, juggle the logistics issue because even if uh, Mike or John or someone says, okay, you know, it's going to be there in a couple of days. The reality is, is that freight sits in the terminal for X number of days and then it disappears, magically reappears. And then sometimes it's two weeks when you're looking at freight. We see where we're shipping finished goods out and our customers sometimes call up and say, well, what happened to it? It's been 10 days. You know, well, we processed the order. We gave it to the carrier. It's sitting someplace in the United States. And I don't think that that's going to be alleviated in the short term. I, I, my personal opinion, again, is I actually think it's going to get worse uh, before it gets better. So when you put all of this into the mix, what happens is, is we're having repetitive high prices, and the, there's a cumulative effect to this. 
Um, and the effect is, is uh, Jill or any of us issue a price list. By the time you get it all done, it's probably obsolete. and You got to do it again. And customers, their patience is now beginning to wear a little bit. Um, in the beginning, okay, well, we take the price increase. That's fine. When they've had five of them since the first of the year, uh, their patience is wearing a little bit thin. And I, I appreciate that everybody wants to get new customers. Everybody wants to shop around a little bit. But frankly, most of the shopping in the marketplace is because they can't get what they, they need. And so that causes another whole set of problems. Um, the trickle-down effect is, from what I see, is, is pretty significant because we deal not only in, in the toll manufacturing area, but in test kits, reagents, equipment, items like that. We're seeing that trickle down to the point where something that was uh, 89 cents is coming back at 289. Um, lead times are now uh, up to six, eight, 10 weeks. Um, we can't even count on that. Um, the story for us is we went to buy bottle caps and uh, that was back in uh, March. We will get delivery on those bottle caps maybe in December. That's unprecedented, unprecedented at all. Um, in talking to a number of the container manufacturers, they simply don't have the rest. They literally have product product manufacturing lines sitting dormant because they don't they don't have the resin. Um, so, from my personal point of view, I'm I'm a little pessimistic about it. Uh, I would ask the marketplace to have some patience with all of the vendors that are in AWT because we're just a conduit for this. We're not the ones uh, in charge of necessarily produ producing the molecule. Uh, we're in the pass-through phase. Um, outside of that, um, it's chaos, and I don't see an end of the chaos in the short term at all. Well, Gary, thank you for that. Again, that's Gary Garcia of Masters Company. Our next speaker that I'd like to recognize is John Zabrida, John Zabrida of Zybex. So, uh, John, you, you've heard all the comments. Uh, you're involved in all the raw materials. Uh, how can you shed some light on this and, and give us some advice? Well, the first thing I'd like to address is the fundamental uh, economic indicator so that people can get an idea of what's happening with raw materials. And I'll start by going year over year. The price of oil is at two times the price a year ago. West Texas Intermediate is at $80.74 on October 12th versus 40.70 a year ago. New York Exchange Diesel is 2.53 versus $1.16. That's a 2.2 factor. Propane is at a 2.8 factor. Natural gas, industrial use natural gas now, not the commodities exchange is at two times the price. And gas prices and diesel prices are up over a dollar at the, at the pumps. That's a retail price. Glacial acrylic acid is up two to three times the price from a year ago. And this, this commodity thing that Mike alluded to called FBX, which is the transportation index, is up to 10000 from 2500 a year ago. That's the price of shipping a container across. And then uh, a fundamental price of some individual like P4 was at two to three dollar, two to three thousand dollars a metric ton. That spiked at eleven thousand dollars a metric ton. 
uh, and has now settled closer to nine to 10. However, because of a Yunnan, China provincial change, they have shut down 90% of the P4 production from the month of September through uh, December, which will put a real strain on phosphonates. That is 70 to 75% of the world's production of yellow phosphorus, which has been curtailed by 90%. So those are some general factors on the economy to understand that it's not a percent increase, but a complete integer increase from two to four times, in some cases higher than that. Um, I wanted to talk about something Gary had mentioned earlier. According to a source, two different sources, it's 80,000 containers in the port of Savannah as of October 11th. That, that's a mere 3 billion pounds of material just sitting there waiting to move. It's, been ve it's very congested at the ports. Uh, we import from, from India and things that took 45 to 60 days in great times are now 120 to even greater than that. So I, I was going to suggest to people also to be, I put a bunch of P words together if I can find my paper here, which it was somewhere here. Oh, well, um, it is to have, here it is. The thing here, we we have prices going up. We have to add additional patience. We have to have some perseverance. We have to be pliable and plausible different formulations of what to do to alternate. And we have to have better planning, like Jill mentioned, lead time, transit time. And you know, there's, there's five stars to delivering a product. One is, do you have the product? Two, can you get a truck to pick it up? Three is, will it show up to pick it up? Four is, will it deliver it? And most importantly, Will it deliver the product, the bill of lading, and the C of A? Sometimes you get two or one of the three. We've had shipments where the product didn't show up, but the paperwork did. Um, it's just tough right now because uh, things are not as efficient as they once were even two years ago or a year ago. So we see a lot of bottlenecks in transportation and raw materials and prices. But if we plan and and are patient with our with our supply chain, will work through this. Is it going to get better? Probably not in the near term. I think it won't be until later next year. Certainly what I mentioned about the curtailment of P4 and P4 is yellow phosphorus, which makes PCL3 and phosphorus acid. That is the H3PO3. You cannot make upgraded phosphorus chemistry from PO4. It has to go through yellow phosphorus. That's gonna put a real strain on our phosphonate supply in the next couple of months, probably be restored in, in, the, in the late first quarter of last year. Th this will be a very serious matter for all of us and we're doing the best that we can to survive uh, through this. I think though that we have, that, that we are very good at innovation. We're very careful on how we can make some adjustments and adjust our stance, choke up on the bat a little bit, but as long as we understand what we're up against and we're patient, and we plan, we can get through this thing. That's all I have to say. Well, that's great alliteration, John. Thank you for all of that. Well, I'm thinking instead of just, I know you all have questions. So instead of just putting questions in the chat, here's what I'm going to ask. It only works if, if we're orderly. Otherwise, uh, we won't be able to hear everybody. So if you have a question at the very bottom uh, or are you on your screen, you can raise your hand. So if you have a question, go ahead and raise your hand. 
And I will recognize those people that raise their hand. You can ask your own question to whichever speaker you wish. So if you right click, you should be able to see where it's right on your video and you can put right. Well, where's that? They, they moved it. Where's raise hand? Raise hand is. Raise hand is on the reactions now. So if you go down to the bottom of your screen, you'll see reactions and click raise hand. So Jay Farmery, if you will unmute and ask your question, please. The biggest question, Gary probably saw what I had posted, but the problem is the FDA chemicals and uh, things that we may already have approved, blends we already approved for NPDES permitting requirements for our customers and things like that. Uh, cyclohexamine, you can't get. I mean, you, you just can't get it. So we may have to think of other mechanical ways to, to handle that. We may have to have remote condensate feeds in multiple places in a hospital or something like that where they need FDA-approved amines. Um, but the problem is trying to get how we handle that. The second thing is the NPDES permit. Uh, you already have things approved. I don't know how you're going to get something else approved. It takes six months to a year sometimes. Jay, if I may, you're absolutely correct because let's assume that someone just arbitrarily says, I'm going to substitute uh, DEAE for cycle. So not only you know do they have an FDA issue, they also have a performance issue. And then, as you know, you get a month or two down the road and you start having undue corrosion. And then there's a whole set of legal risks off of that. And no different on the NPDES permit. Someone arbitrarily changes it and they get caught. <clears throat> That's a severe problem. So my point again is don't arbitrarily change it. You really have to take a look at the consequences and the unintended consequences. If All right. I any if I may, sorry, Trace, if I, if I may add on to what uh, Jay asked and, and Gary stated, um, you know, I agree with Gary 100%, but some of these things like cyclohexamine, morphine, DEAE, all of that, um, and this also goes to the question that Jay asked, but that Dave Fitzgerald also asked, um, you know, you can still get these things. I don't know if, you know, next year it'll be the same case, but for right now, you know, speaking for myself and, you know, I'm, I'm sure for Gary and others as well, you can still get them. It just depends, is there going to be a point, and this goes to Dave's question, where even if you can get them, the price goes to a point that people are not willing to pay that point. On certain things right now, like for us, cyclohexylamine, morpholine, DEAE, we can get it, and we've passed along those price increases and customers have understood and they're willing to pay that price. But to Dave's point, and I don't have a strict answer for Dave other than to say that I do think at some point for certain products, maybe not like what Jay and Gary were saying, you know, where there's FDA, you know, products that you're supposed to use that you cannot just go and make a substitution for. I think on certain products, we will get to a point what that point is I don't know where customers will no longer want to pay and they would just rather run out. Let me ask this of the panel for those of us that are thinking about either keeping a normal level of inventory, 
Should we be thinking we should double, triple, quadruple it? What advice do you have for that? Well, if I might add, I think all the customers would like their suppliers to have raw materials when they'd like to order it. So they would expect their suppliers to do the same for them. So you have to think about in order to stay in business, you have to have your, your working capital employed in inventory in your plant. And it will be more expensive to operate your businesses. And you have to to stay in the game. You have to take on those financial risks, I think. The opposite side of that, John, would be uh, everybody stocks up on inventory and then we get a market correction in next quarter. And now we have very expensive inventory on the books. What would you say is the, the lesser of two evils? I think if none of us have ever had to do a mark-to-market adjustment from inventory, that would be sort of naive, both directions, either going up in price and going down in price. That's just part of business risk, I think. It's, it's part of the game. If I may, okay, what do you do when everybody wants to stock up and there's a limited supply? So everyone rushing to stock up and tripling their inventory only goes so far. Uh, you can only accommodate it to a certain point. And we're at the point, quite frankly, for a number of compounds. Jill's talking about cyclohexylamine. John's talking about phosphonates. The fact is there isn't any more in the supply chain. So we yeah, can Gary, all like I, to stock up. I agree with you. And what I would say is, look, most of our relationships, probably I haven't looked at all 85 participants today, but most of our relationships are not transactional, you know, between our businesses. So, you know, what I would say is we're in a little bit of a unique situation where we can talk with customers, say, what do you need and when do you need it? And here's what, you know, we as a supplier can can provide. And here's where we're seeing some hiccups or issues or what have you. So I'm absolutely not an advocate of people overstocking, but I would rather have kind of the collaborative relationship for me to understand what our customers need and then them to understand what our challenges are and when we can deliver what. Yeah. And to piggyback on to what everybody else, you know, kind of had said, you know, right now, cash is king. That's why all of the webinars and all of the talk that you hear about making sure that you have cash and that you have a good cash flow and, and keep your eye on it, you know, to go on to what Gary, Mike and John said. I mean, people are stocking up as much as they can, but it's as much as they can. And also there's constraints about, you know, maybe you've stocked up on a material as much as you can buy. Maybe your building is only X amount of square feet. So it's the importance of, you know, communication. And, you know, everybody's had to, you know, take a gamble and, and maybe you're stuck with some higher priced inventory for a second. But, you know, it's a crystal ball. And I think, you know, like what Mike was saying, all of us have the flexibility, you know, to pivot, you know, when we need to, to try to best serve our customers. And I think that's what makes AWT so unique is that all of our main goals are to best serve our customers. And I think we're all trying as hard as we can within the confines of, of things that are available and communicating price changes. And even things, you know, the the how much can our buildings hold at one time? Um, I think that, that we're all lucky. And if I could say one thing to the membership and all of our customers is that, you know, you're in good hands and that we're all trying to do everything that we can and that we will get through this together one way or another by sharing all of our knowledge and information and communication with each other. Yeah, I think the original question that, that Trace had asked is, 
with the raw material prices being double or triple? And do we maintain the same amount of inventory? And when you do that, if you maintain the same amount of inventory, you're going to triple your holding costs. It's not about increasing your inventory. It's the reality that you will have to find cash to maintain the same amount of inventory. I do not urge anyone to stock up or to go crazy right now because then everyone will crash. But at the same time, you have to come to the reality that your business will require more capital to maintain the same inventory as you had before. I think that's the question, right, Trace? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I know there's more questions out there. You can't ask a better group of people. Uh, they're, they're directly involved in all of this. So I'm going to give you another chance to go down and hit the reactions button and let me know if you have a question and we can get that answer. So, Rachel, I see you have a question. If you'll go ahead and unmute yourself and ask your question, please. Hi. Um, something that we have recently, not recently, but we've run into is issues with getting in totes and drums. And I was kind of wondering how you guys are handling that because now we're not just facing the raw material issue, but just what to even put our products in to be able to ship them. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on how to navigate the drum and tote issue? I, I'll let Gary, please go first. All right. If I may, Rachel, um, totes are like uh, gold. Uh, you, you know, they're almost as much as a Tesla these days. Um, and if, if you can find them. Um, when the um, petrochemical plants went down in the Gulf, um, it caused a resin shortage. And the manufacturers still have not caught up with that. We're seeing lead times on a trailer load of drums, sometimes extending to four weeks. Um, and there's just no way around it. Uh, I've had conversations with, with people who said, um, do you have an extra, you know, 505 gallon containers you can sell me because they can't get them. Um, open head pails again, are like gold. Um, there's just no easy answer for it. One of the things you might want to consider is working with your supplier and give them multiple purchase orders. Um, Extend out your shipping date so that they can plan that production. Um, that should help you out a little bit. But there is no magic answer to any of this because the materials simply aren't available. Any of the other speakers want to weigh in? I was going to just comment the similar to exactly what Gary is saying. I think one of the things that is so important is to have, you know, your suppliers that you've been with for a while that you're loyal to. And those suppliers will, you know, go out of their way to help you, you know, as much as they're able to. But similar to what Gary said is I have orders out all the way six, nine months out where I have a revolving delivery that just happens once a month. And I think that, you know, what Gary said, you know, place multiple POs, you know, place them out far and, you know, just work with the supplier as the date gets close to if you need to push it back a little bit or change the composition of an order. But um, it's just important to get those in and get those on the books. That way you've got existing orders in house and they can plan around. Right. That falls into the flexibility part of totes, drums or bulk, whatever's available and. Some weeks there's no bulk trucks available. Some weeks there's no drums. Some weeks there's no totes. But what Jill pointed out was putting orders in in advance and planning is an excellent idea because with today's modern SAP systems, they can put that into the plan. A purchase order is put into the plan 
whereas a forecast is less weighted than a purchase order. That way, material resources can plan for the production and get it out. And even though production might be delayed by weeks or months because of the availability, at least it's in the plan to be manufactured. And that is a very good idea to just to plan ahead a little bit better, not, not to expect things to be shipping yesterday. Well, let me ask the question. Everybody mentioned communication. How often should we be communicating with all of you? How often should we be communicating with our customers? Okay, so I'll get myself in trouble again. We try and do it at least on a monthly basis. Uh, I've, I've been writing, um, a, in essence, an update to customers every month, um, just telling them what's in shortage, what we see and what we don't see. Um, that's an email blast that goes out of masters every month. Um, on a on a daily basis, I <clears throat> talk to a lot of people back and forth, and every one of those conversations is is well, okay. There is no sulfamic acid left. Um, this uh, raw material is going up in price. Um, this is what's on the horizon. So it, it's almost a daily, hourly, minute by minute process. There, there's there's no other way around it. Anybody else like to weigh in? All right, everybody, last chance for questions. Okay, Robert, I see you have a question. If you'd please unmute yourself. Yeah, I would I would just like to say that also on the equipment side, which is kind of where I live, uh, uh, the same kind of sharing and, and planning is critical. We have very actively been trying to, uh, you know, to limit our customers' exposure to the, pro- uh, the problems, uh, but... If a customer can start to tell us, hey, in a couple of months, I might be needing this type of uh, pumps, controllers, tanks, whatever, uh, we, we have been very glad to, uh, you know, to try to uh, bring equipment in. We've also been able to you know, maybe, if we have a couple of weeks notice, uh, figure out ways to you know, convert equipment to make sure that uh, that can be filled. Uh, but every little bit of information that we can we can get will help us to uh, you know, to honor uh, uh, the need and make that uh, make that possible. Well, thank you for that. Any other questions? Trace, may I add a, a comment? Please. Um, you know, one one of the things, and Jay alluded to this earlier. Um, you know, there's a lot of different tools that we have to employ. So, you know, don't disregard that. Kind of step back, look at water chemistry needs. As an example, there may be equipment options. You have, you know, levers to pull, such as pH adjustment that can reduce chemical demand or cycle adjustment to reduce chemical demand or switching technologies, you know, alongside with your vendors or even a mitigation approach. So, you know, I've been talking with customers this week. They're having issues getting phosphonates. They have some phosphonate on the floor. You know, they're they're that maybe they have a month's worth as an example, and they're two months out from getting more raw materials. So they're looking at mitigation approaches in the mid uh, in the midterm. So you know, it might be combining you know a little extra polymer, a little less phosphonate, or whatever they you know scenario is to to extend out. Um, you know, that that product a little bit longer that is uh, difficult for them to get. So there's a lot of tools to employ. Uh, I think we got to go back to basics a little bit here in, in this scenario. 
Any other comments from the speakers or any more questions from the audience? Well, Mike, Jill, Gary, John, thank you so much for, for spending the time to do this, sharing all the valuable information that, that you're seeing in your practices and sharing it with us. Oh, I see Michelle's got a question. Michelle, go ahead and unmute yourself, please. So surprised it's not Michelle. Uh, she shared her link with me. Uh, it's Eric Russo here. In uh, <laughs> uh, My question is, as our customers... Are, you see the dynamic where they start price shopping or looking around or they're saying, you know, they, they, they try to leverage this global scenario and think maybe it's just a supplier standpoint from our end. Uh, as water treatment companies potentially do the same for the suppliers of the chemical, um, how likely are you guys going to respond to maybe a new company coming to you guys asking to take over all their orders or something? Are, are you focusing on your existing customers first? Um, is it a bad time for new people to come your way? I'll, I'll, I'll tackle that real quick. And then Mike and John and Jill can, can jump in. Um, so first of all, like every business, you want to take care of your core customers. They pay the bills, you know, they put food on your table and there's a loyalty with that by the same token. I mean, um, there's always ways to create stuff, as Mike was saying before. So if you were attuned to product X and you're starting something new, you know, that's, that's fairly easy to address. But there's limitations, and those limitations are real. And, and the fact is, and it comes back to people wanting to put in lots more inventory, there's a certain point where there's just not any more material in the chain. And that's the real problem that we're seeing. You know, as John says, there's not going to be any yellow phosphorus coming out of China for at least six months. And so that's going to have a domino effect. And then when it does finally come out, they're going to have to fill that chain. So you may be actually looking at a year, year and a half from now before that's actually back in supply. I'll answer it in a little bit different perspective. Uh, to a, a complementary uh, perspective from from our point of view, we um, became a lot of people's best friend that you know didn't want to you know didn't give us the time of day uh, you know uh, a year ago what have you and so you know we had kind of people or companies coming out of the woodwork uh, looking for material uh, particularly some of the large you know companies are looking for truckloads after truckloads of material. Uh, our decision uh, was to, you know, not accept that and, and not entertain that uh, because we ultra wanted to protect our, you know, existing customer base. We have, you know, accepted business within the AWT community that have been struggling to get raw material where we could, you know, provide support. But if the nature of the question was more, what if a large company comes and asks for a product, at least in our case, we've, um, you know, we've not um, accepted that that uh, opportunity, if you will. And I, Eric, I agree. It's funny because Gary and Mike and um, John and I were talking about this with Trace right before we got ready to go into the recorded session. And, you know, I concur with what Gary and, and uh, 
what Mike said is that, you know, we're always all looking for new customers. But right now we have to temper that, you know, as Gary said, with the loyalty to the current customers we have. We're always happy to take on, you know, new customers, but we also have to be careful that somebody that we know that's never going to stay with us come in like what Mike said, swoop in and take everything that's in high demand. And then, you know, the customers that have been with us for 10 or 20 years, then they don't have any. So I think it's a, a situational, but I think, again, just what makes the AW so special is that we're here to take good care of our customers. I see that Larry Pond has a question. Larry, if you'll unmute, please, and ask your question. I think it's unmuted. Um, looking down the crystal ball that Gary keeps talking about, um, is there a point in time uh, where all the floodgates open and all the manufacturers are producing the raw goods again? And from that point, when do you think the supply chain would normal out or level itself out from that point? How long would it take? I don't have a full answer there, but I'll make one comment, Justin, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, Larry. Um, I think that we're going to have to see a decrease in demand. That's my personal opinion before you start to see uh, things level out with supply. Um, that, that's my opinion. And, and I feel like what's going to trigger that is some sort of inflationary uh, trigger that that essentially decreases demand. And then all of a sudden, particularly with transportation right now, and I'm sure all the panelists here would, would probably back me up on this. Right now, a lot of the freight companies don't necessarily want our business. You know, they're not looking. We have one freight company that uh, will only pick up here um, because uh, we have they have an existing customer. They're accepting no business. So they're accepting no new business, have no interest in you know making pickups. The trans uh, oceanic uh, people, they don't want your, I mean, they're not looking for new business. They're looking to increase price of existing business. They don't have capacity. So I think there's going to have to be some sort of decrease in demand in order to you know, for people to get religion, if you will, um, on the supply side, my, my two cents. Larry, if I may, keep in mind, that let, let's make a presumption that you had a mothballed chemical processing plant, a manufacturer. By the time they got permits, by the time they got in operation, you could be looking at two years down the road. It's not a, a question of you snap your finger and you're suddenly manufacturing molecules. That, that just doesn't happen. So we have, my personal opinion is, is could there be a decrease in demand? Yes. But more likely what happens from a historical standpoint is you hit a deep recession. And at some point then you get a huge leveling effect. Wages come down, prices come down, availability of materials go up. When that's going to be, haven't got a clue. But you can bet that at some point that ugly monster is coming. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at, Gary, with the decrease in demand at some point. All right, I see just go ahead, John. I was going to say something about the global dynamics of ocean freight. There's been a consolidation to from 18 companies to six major shipping lines, and with a global alliance, uh, they've pretty much controlled the, the the portages between countries and between ports. Also, read in a periodical that. Through the first half of this year, these global alliance shipping companies have made more money in 2020 than they have in the last five years combined. So is that a form of increase in 
demand or just taking advantage of a situation. You be the judge of that. But at, at the rate of congestion of our ports, and I think I think in Los Angeles it gets up to 80 to 100 vessels are sitting there waiting to get into the port of Los Angeles. And you look at the, the downtime, the working capital of people's products being stuck in transit, it also contributes to the, the overall malaise of our economy that we cannot get materials moving fast enough into the economy. So I think what 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 to complement what was being said is that we have a big bottleneck right now in our country and we probably should work towards improving our 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 logistics in our country to improve our economy. Justin Ranger has a question. Justin, if you'd please unmute yourself. Yeah, it, it was related to kind of uh, the question that was just asked, but it I was curious if on uh, you know, kind of the raw material suppliers, it was mentioned that China had cut back on its exports. Do you foresee, I know Gary just mentioned, you can't just flip a uh, manufacturing plant on and start making new raw material. Uh, but do you see perhaps maybe raw materials being directed uh, out of other markets into the water treatment market now that prices are going up so high? So maybe we'll begin to import raw material from other places that uh, wouldn't historically be our main supply chain. Who'd like to take that one? I mean, I can make one comment. Our, our materials were uh, not getting our materials from Asia. They're coming from Europe. Uh, there's much the same kind of constraints with Europe as there is with Asia. Not not nearly as severe, but uh, you know, to to the same kind of uh, degree and same kind of issues. I think the issue is kind of to Gary's point is there's not a way to bring on capacity at a very, very you know rapid pace. So bringing on capacity is very slow. And then even if you had capacity in other you know, areas, if it's not you know, in the U.S., then you're still going to have the issue with transportation. And even with U.S. production, a lot of the raw materials, a very heavy percentage of the raw materials, are uh, coming from overseas anyway. So you have the constraint of the raw materials, uh, you know, get, getting in here, even if you repatriated uh, production in, in the U.S., if you if you could do that quickly. I think you will always see raw materials leaning towards the highest dollar as an allocation goes. So all raw materials are always in competition with some use, and it tends to go to the highest bidder. So in the case of ethylene oxide, propylene oxide, glacial acrylic acid, all of the materials will go to the highest bidder. So in a time of short supply, that's why you see some of these shortages. Let's say a large chemical corporation, and I will not mention any names, many of you people can guess, but they will use those products internally for their own products, which are then upgraded within their own system before they're sold outside the company to other suppliers for what are the building blocks to make things. So you just have to be mindful that we're in that time of a type of a business climate today. So we'll, the, the water treatment raw materials will always be in competition with other markets and other uses. All businesses are like that. All right. Any other questions? Well, again, thank you to all the speakers. Again, the speakers, Jill Cavano, Scranton Associates, Mike Standish, Radical Polymers, Gary Garcia, Masters Company, and John Zabrita of Zybex. Thank you so much for sharing. I want to sign off with saying uh, it's so easy for us to treat each other well during good times. 
It's a true testament of character with how we treat each other during bad times. And I think what we've done here this evening shows that character, shows how we can work together and how working together, we're gonna to weather this storm. So thank you everybody for joining. Scout Nation, you heard me say this at the top of the show. You heard me say it during the webinar, and I'm going to say it again. Together, we can achieve more. And as we get information in our water treatment community, I think it's vital that we share that with each other and figure out how we can help each other through this raw material and supply crisis so we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can make the wheel better as we pass that wheel along. So if you haven't reached out to your fellow water trader, I urge you to do so. With that, I'm going to sign off. I'm going to wish you all the luck in the world. I think knowledge is way better than luck. So try to learn everything you can so you can make the best decision for tomorrow. <music>